Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Maximize your impact with the Top 1% Podcast. We live in a world where people are struggling, scraping, grinding, worrying, overindulging, and overmedicating. In addition to that, they're underperforming, many lack motivation, direction, and average is suddenly acceptable. The Top 1% Podcast is the antidote to mediocrity. If you're ready to maximize your performance in all aspects of life, becoming a world-class leader, achieve success so that you can build enough resources to serve others, be happy and fulfilled, and live for something larger than yourself, you're in the right place. Maximize your impact with the Top 1% Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here. Forget the introduction. I'm so ready to get into this episode. As many of my audience knows, you know I do a lot of weird nerd talk on my glorious podcast, numerous podcasts. In this one, I do a lot of weird, wacky nerd talk. And I have a fellow nerd, a better nerd, on the interview right now. His name is Dr. Clee Irwin. Please, or Clee, please introduce yourself. 
Oh, hi everyone, and thank you, uh, Antonio. Um, I wanted to jump in to uh, to life and uh, did not uh, keep going in college to get a PhD, but um, but I'm a doctor of life and and I am a full time physicist. So, yeah, that's amazing, a doctor of life, full time physicist. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, we're getting ready to get, I'm getting ready to get weird, and I'm going to just have this guy mentor all of us, because I, so you can hear the smile in my voice right now, I'm so excited. Well, the first thing I want to cover, we're going to, you have a book, actually, let's cover your book first, and then we'll talk about your book all throughout, so tell us the name of your book, and how can we get it? Uh, The book is uh, Pain Nation, and you can get it on Amazon, uh, probably easiest, um, and it's about um, some surprising things that uh, that uh, that I learned about in the last few years about how the cannabis plant um, can help our nation avoid a catastrophe. Mm. Drum roll! <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> uh, I guess I should say how. So I'll tell you just the thesis. So, sure. um, yeah. So you know. We were we were originally um, so I started I started uh, my my life in my twenties in business, uh, building a, a natural products company selling vitamins and herbal products, and uh, so that, that's Irwin Naturals. It's a twenty six uh, year old company, and um, then after about fifteen years of doing that and building the company to a big size, I decided I wanted to reinvent my life and. Uh, and become a uh, a quantum gravity theorist, and um, so I use the money that I get from the profits of of the you know plant medicines and things we sell at Irwin Naturals to pay PhD mathematicians and physicists to work at uh, at our nonprofit called Quantum Gravity Research, which uh, we have a website quantumgravityresearch.org. And uh, we got a film for the public about our work uh, called What is Reality? Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, if you put in the word gravity, it'll come up. What is reality? And then just the word gravity. And then we have another film called Hacking Reality. You can use that one and put in the word gravity, and ours will come up. And um, so anyway, so then uh, I've been doing that for 10 years, full-time, you know, 50 hours a week, uh, just, you know, leading a group of physicists and mathematicians. And we've made some... Um, very, very interesting progress and are starting to get recognized for our work. Then, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, something from my past, you know, as my vitamin company past, right? I still own the company, but I haven't really walked into the building or participated in the business much uh, at all in the last 10 years. So this CBD stuff caught my eye um, and having worked on fundamental physics and chemistry and basically, you know, this much more scientifically advanced kind of thinking, as I turn my attention back to what's, you know, what is this big deal about this CBD that I've been hearing about, I was able to really um, think about it, uh, you know, in a, in a, and learn about it in a very quick period of time. So I can distill it all down for you in, a, in an elevator pitch, and the book goes into some fun detail on it. Um, in the history of mankind, there have been five and only five plant molecules 
that have achieved membership into the sort of venerable pantheon of ubiquitously uh, used uh, plant molecules. So you can guess what some of them are. One of them is uh, alcohol molecules right, derived from plants that was discovered thousands of years ago, and it became ubiquitously used around the globe. Uh, the next came sugar. People learned to take plants and pull out the sugar molecules. And in the past, there, uh, there wasn't that kind of high concentration sugar. You'd have to eat a whole piece of fruit just to get a percentage of the sugar molecules. And, it, and maybe you could be rich enough to have access to honey, but that wasn't something that the average guy on the street could get access to. So sugar was number two. Uh, the third plant molecule um, came when we started um, discovering um, the Americas, right? When the Europeans, I shouldn't say we, mm -hmm. because our, our, our people listening to this are from all over the world. Um, right. But, you know, when, when the Europeans started kind of coming in and thinking they could, you know, just take advantage of of the Americas and the indigenous people. One of the things that they that they learned about was um, two chemicals: um, theobromine from chocolate, right? So you eat chocolate and you notice an uplifting mm -hmm. psychotropic effect, and then that spread the around the globe. You know, years later, today it's ubiquitous. Um, and then we've got caffeine that was really actually discovered in, in China, again, when Europeans went over there and started, you know, uh, pushing their weight yeah. around, uh, right? Yeah. And, um, and, so, and so we've, we've, we've got these things that, uh, that are very rare, and the last, the last time something has um, made it in, and, and of course the fifth one, I'm sorry I left that off, that's uh, nicotine. Right. So when we went to the Americas, we found native, nat indigenous Native Americans using this plant, and uh, then we started using it around the world. And now it, and now nicotine is used around the world. So it has been 500 or so years since a sixth plant molecule has been added to this uh, rarefied list of the big five. And I predict, as do others, that CBD uh, will be the 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 sixth and i'll tell you uh, why so brightfield group which is um which was reported on in rolling stone magazine and countless financial publications um several months ago uh, uh released their analysis um on the market economic argument for why and prediction that you know wall street kind of uses to to invest and gamble on industries that um, by 2022 the cbd industry in the united states will reach 22 billion dollars now let's put that into perspective if you add up the marijuana industry including the legal stuff from dispensaries and uh, the stuff being sold at the street level you just add it all up, it's about $10 billion. That's gigantic. That's wow. huge. And it's very mature. Yeah. It's not going to get that much bigger. It's, you know, people are, have been using weed, progressed, you know, in increasing percentages since, you know, before and after it was, it's been legal. But what is going to explode exponentially very, very fast in the next um, months ahead of us is CBD. And these analysts are predicting it'll go to, to double, more than double of what the 
you know, the marijuana industry will become. So first of all, CBD, um, there's a plant called cannabis, that's the scientific name, and then there's uh, a kind of legal pair of terms. So when that cannabis plant doesn't have enough THC to get you high, it's called hemp. So they set a number on that at 0.3%. So if it's got less than 0.3% THC, it's still cannabis, same species, but they call it hemp in the law. And if it's got more than 0.3%, um, then they call it marijuana. Now, if it's got you know just 0.5%, you can't get high on that. You can't get high on 1%. You can't get high on marijuana with 2%. So essentially, um, the law was super, super conservative. They said if there's just virtually no THC in it, you know, then we'll call it hemp and we'll make that legal. So Trump signed that law in that bill into law and it is legal now. So now there's this big explosion where Coca-Cola and all sorts of companies are getting into it. Um, and uh, and here's what it what the deal is. Why would it be so big? Well, caffeine has an impact on you. You can notice it. Alcohol has an impact on you. You can feel it. You can notice it, right? Uh, nicotine, mm-hmm. right? So it's so if something's going to get uh, become the sixth and be added to the big five, it's got to be profound. It's got to be something people like as well. Yeah. They like the feeling. And so when so and so with CBD, it um, treats twenty thousand different disease conditions. Plus, it gives you a profound um, sense of intelligence, which I'll mm. I'll explain. So it, what it does is it, it acts on a, a system in your body that somehow remained undetected um, up until uh, the 1970s. And Dr. Meshulam in Israel discovered this vast system that parallel, parallel, parallels uh, the immune system, and it is called the endocannabinoid system. So that just means it's the system of your body that makes weed molecules. So cannabinoid, <laughs> uh, cannabinoids are the are the class of molecules in the in the cannabis plant, and so we call those cannabinoids. And then endo just means in your body. So it's the it's the weed molecules or the cannabis molecules um, that your body makes. And um, so in any event. Uh, what is this endocannabinoid system, and, um, and what's the big deal? So what it does is, is it, it's different than all the other systems because it is the orchestrator. It is the harmonizer, the regulator, or the balancer of all other systems. And so in, in, in medical science, how we define disease is when a, a system or a combination of systems, a system of systems within the body, remains chronically out of balance and therefore by definition will malfunction because the optimal function of any organ or system of organs in your body uh, is based on its home its balance it's homeostasis it's symbiosis it's you know resonance with the rest of the systems in your body so anyway that endocannabinoid system goes into action when you're out of balance just like the immune system goes into action you know when when you're attacked by a pathogen and so nowadays, almost the entire planet is out of balance because we're no longer working with the circadian rhythms. We're not, we're not, we're so smart, right, intellectually that we can invent constructs. Like I've got to pass my PhD thesis, 
you know, and defend it in three months, and it's going to require me to get three hours of sleep a night just to do that, right, not exercise. And um, so anyway, so humans, and then the stress factor, the, the, the amount of worrying. And so what happens is our whole body systems at the mental level and physical level are pretty much chronically out of balance as a modern person. I mean, in order to get in balance, it's really, you've got to go way out of your way. You've got to go to a retreat. You've got to get into serious commitment to mindfulness practices like relaxing, <laughs> meditating, stretching, walking, athletics. You've got to do something. But, but that most of us don't not take it that seriously, you know. And so right. we're, we're, all, we're all at least a little bit out of balance. So anyway, so, so that's, the, that's the, the case. And so, so the mental out of balances um, I'm going to deal with from a brainwave perspective. So any thought that you have, such as love or anger uh, or the, the ideas discussed in this podcast at this very moment for you, is a signature that we can read in equipment, which is a blend of four categories of uh, wavelengths in your brain, in the electromagnetic spectrum. And so just think of, you know, short, longer, longer, and really long. Okay, so the short ones are called alpha, and oh, I'm sorry, are called beta. And when you're in beta, uh, you're in a fight or flight type of situation. Beta is really handy, you know, when you need to sort of uh, think a certain way, like not creatively, not in a flow, but you need to balance your checkbook in like three minutes or you need to, you know, run and catch this taxi cab. Um, alpha is in clinical studies associated with scoring higher on creative intelligence problem tests. And alpha is a longer wavelength than beta. Theta is that really chill state that you can feel right when you wake up in the morning before you've even opened your eyes, or maybe if anybody's meditated or reached those kind of peak states of sublime peace, then you have a lot of uh, theta. And then uh, delta is the longest, and uh, if you have a dominance of delta, uh, that means you're sleeping. And at this very moment, you have all four categories of wavelength happening in your brain. And what defines your consciousness, your state of being, your attitudes, is exactly a constantly moving fingerprint or signature of ratios between these four categories. So the sweet spot where you're supposed to be, the way you're evolutionarily designed, is to have a high dominance of alpha with a nice measure of theta and a little bit of beta and a little of the short wavelength, right? And a little bit of the extra long one, uh, 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 delta, but just a little. So where you want to be is the alpha, and that's not where you are. So unless you're on CBD or unless you're medita you know, <laughs> been meditating today. Um, so in general, we are in this chronic state of of high alert, high. Um, you know, if I, I if I watch Game of Thrones, my body doesn't know the difference. You know, my body mind system is is in the, for an hour in this intense state of of, a, of emergency. I watched uh, the Avengers movie last night with my son, and I was in that state for three hours straight. <laughs> you know, just a high emergency alert. But um, so anyway, so what CBD does uh, in the, and this is shown in clinical studies is that it it adjusts the radio dials of the ratio of of alpha and theta in your brain, and it bumps it up so that if you did take a creative intelligence test, you'd score higher. 
because when you're in the, in the higher ratios of alpha and theta, you're smarter where smartness is measured by problem solving, you know, uh, problem solving that requires synthesis and creativity of ideas. And um, so anyway, so when you when when a nation as a whole is is based on a political paradigm of themism, right? The Mexicans are going <laughs> to come over the border and get us, and the Chinese are going to take our jobs and be the new sheriff in town as the most powerful nation on earth. And all of these stories of fear and separatism and themism, it makes you feel afraid, right? Blaming others, mm -hmm. being fearful of others, um, brings fear, and fear amps up your, your beta, right? Because it's the fight or flight. And so be careful, you know, of what of how, of when you're talking crap about another group of people, right? And intolerance, yeah. because just being intolerant puts you into that unhealthy state. So anyway, so we've got the we've got a nation that is uh, drugging ourselves to death. Um, mm. If you were if you were to take all of the prescription opioids, amphetamines, and antidepressants manufactured on planet Earth. And by the way, every single country in the world manufactures these and prescribes them. And you put them into a giant pile, right? That would that would be a very small hill, right? Of just you know billions of pills. And then you want to ask the question: Well, is what what percentage of that mountain of pills every year do Americans eat? And we are four percent of the global population, and we single-handedly consume 75% of the mountain of pills that the world produces in these in these wow. three primary categories. So is it because is it because we're more psychologically screwed up since most of these and pain and in pain? No, actually it it, it it is and it isn't. Yes, we're more psychologically screwed up because we have an industry of 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 this fear and themism um, that at times, you know, our movies, our politics, um, mm -hmm. but also it's the weird um, uh, latitude that we give um, in our laws to lobbyists for pharma companies. In Europe, they, they don't allow them to lobby as hard, you know, as, mm -hmm. as we do here. And um, there's, a weird, there's weird laws where doctors can kind of get cozy with pharma salespeople and whatnot. So what happens is the doctors don't know any better. You know they're doing the best they can, but they've been they've been influenced. So so they're they're kind of tainted in this sense because of the over influence as a pair, as opposed to a European doctor. And so the bottom line is, you know they will they're trigger happy like quick draw McGraw. They will write a prescription for your kid if they even if they even smell the the the, the idea of you know attention deficit order or whatnot or or depression and in in other countries they they'll be they'll be much more careful about that uh pulling the trigger so anyway so we're 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 we've got the we've got a rampant um opioid epidemic uh it's getting worse not better there's no clear cut um solution in sight and we've got a nervous nation with the world that's getting more interconnected and, and making us feel like elbow room is getting squeezed. And so people are getting nervous. And so this could snowball into a, into a meltdown in this country if we're not careful and we don't recognize this kind of collective nervousness that we have. And so if, if everybody would just take CBD 
who needs it, which I would estimate is probably 95% of the population could benefit from it, not only will disease conditions be significantly reduced, uh, physical diseases will be reduced um, because of how the definition of disease is systems out of balance and how the endocannabinoid system balances systems. And I'm almost done with the with the story of the book. And I'll yeah, you know, kind of yeah. Okay, so I'll end by by giving you some geeky stuff on Jeez. how the endocannabinoid. Yeah. Uh, so so think about the idea of a lock and a key in molecular you know bio um, molecular thinking. Mm-hmm. So your your you have something. Your endocannabinoid system um, consists of kind of three things. A part of the system that manufactures these cannabinoids, called endocannabinoids, a part of the system that receives or uses the cannabinoids, and those are called endocannabinoid receptors. And think of the receptor as a molecular structure that has a little hole in it that's a lock. And that little lock is built for only one key, a smaller molecular key called a cannabinoid, a weed molecule, right? So that cannabinoid when when you manufacture it in your own body, goes into one of the little molecular keyholes in the endocannabinoid receptor, and then the system goes to work doing its job. Like, in, like the immune system being activated, the endocannabinoid system goes to work to harmonize or balance systems in your body, right? And so when it harmonizes and balances the brain, you get back to that better dominance of alpha you feel a sense of higher creati- creative intelligence, better flow, uh, less reactiveness. And um, so why do we even need to take uh, cannabinoid molecules from a plant if our body makes them? Mm. It's, it's, it's kind of parallels the idea of why 80% of America is either um, pre-diabetic Mm-hmm. with elevated blood sugar levels or diabetic where you've reached the magic number and they can label you as that. And it's it's because we're eating a diet that's not evolutionarily designed for us. We're evolutionarily designed to consume a pretty significant, at least small amount of uh, carbohydrates and, and uh, pure sugar uh, than, than, than we do. And so, so what happens is people's um, pancreas becomes... Um, they be, you know, people are unable to generate the necessary amount of um, of, of insulin uh, that that a normal person, like living 200 years ago, would would be able to do. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so that's why just about anybody uh, who who lives a modern life in a modern world who takes 30 milligrams or so, uh, I take 40 milligrams of CBD in any product form. Uh, per day, as just part of their their nutritional regime, will notice uh, an enormous no- amount of benefit. They'll notice um, that they think more clearly. Uh, their coworkers and family will begin to comment that they're they're more focused, easier to get along with, just sort of more in the flow. Um, and they'll and many people will start to notice a lot of disease conditions being abated from pain to all sorts of things that we report on in the book. Um, And uh, so that's it. So I think uh, that there's only one problem now. So before Congress passed this bill making it legal, which is now setting in place this, this industry to explode, there's only one problem in that 
Right now, the bottom 25% of income earners in America do not have access to CBD because it's out of reach financially. So that 30 milligrams or 40 milligrams that I mentioned uh, would, um, you know, that would cost at least, that would cost about $100 a month. And, uh, you know, to some listeners, you might be loaded with credit card debt, you know, and you might not have $100, $1,200 a year of extra after-tax income. So that means yeah. you're out of luck because your insurance company is not paying for it yet. And so um, our mission and, and, you know, something I talk about in this, in this book is, is that, you know, I, I feel, I don't want to use the word unethical, but I feel it's not fair for some companies to sell the, the CBD at a really, really high price just because they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, capitalism is about supply and demand and what the market will bear. And, and someone should f- feel no guilt by selling anything for whatever price they can get away with, right? But mm-hmm. what if... What if um, what if there was a zombie apocalypse and and this is Antonio's you know like you know one he's broadcasting on on the survivor channel and 50% of the <laughs> world had been uh, you know killed by the zombies right uh and then uh Antonio and I mess around and we like accidentally discover like the zombie cure like the the antidote the serum right now we could rub our hands in glee and we could imagine how how we could become trillionaires, right? Right. But in but but in a really big emergency like important societal cases of huge impact, you know, maybe companies should kind of keep one foot in the philanthropic nonprofit mentality and another and maybe their other foot in the for-profit mentality and say, "All right, this is a special case." So what what can we do different here? Because the nation needs it. Maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe we're near the edge of a, of a cascade, you know, tipping point, and things could get really bad really fast if we don't do something quickly. And so, with that in mind, we, you know, I decided, you know, I already make money from my company. What, why do I need to be focused on milking this situation? Right. So we're we're putting out CBD. I'm kind of I own the company, so I can kind of do what I want, right? There's no shareholders right. who will sue me. So I want to basically um, sell our CBD for about one-third uh, the cost of, of what everyone else is selling it at, or the average. Awesome. And, and so that's what we're doing. And, um, and uh, yeah, and that's it. And so I'm happy about that because we can get CBD out to, I mean, the people suffering from the opioid epidemic, you know, those, many of those people are the ones who fall into the bottom 25% of income earners, you know? Yeah. And so the people, you know, people who are suffering in poverty, they need the CBD probably more than more than others, you know? And so anyway, so that's, that's my mission on CBD, and that's what distracted me uh, for the last year and a half from my, you know, my fundamental life mission, which is, um, you know, try, to try to understand what is the connection between Einstein's, you know, theory of space and time and the theory right. of quantum mechanics? What's that grand unification theory? Oh, and by the way, how does that explain why some people can apparently get information from places that their ears and eyes and, you know, senses cannot? Like, right. you know, how do people get a gut instinct or a premonition or how do these spiritual type of metaphysical things like psychic phenomena or spiritual things how how can that be real because i because 
because some people have experienced it, and so they know experimentally firsthand for themselves that it's real. So it's sort of the unification of 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 spirit and consciousness with the unification of you know of 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 general relativity and quantum mechanics. Wow, <clears throat> amazing! So before I get to the weird, fun stuff that I wanted to do. I'm going to, I was using my memory files to jog a few things that you were saying down. Where, let's, let's address the most obvious question first. Where can we get CBD from you at since it is at a more affordable cost and you have a philanthropic heart about you, so helping you would then in turn help others? Yes. Um, it, you can go to our website, which is irwinnaturals.com, and that's a good place to get it. It's um, Vitamin Shop uh, just picked it up, uh, and they've rolled it out into the first, uh, I think, 150 stores, and over the next couple months, they'll roll it out into all uh, 800 of their stores across the country. Um, we'll be selling it in Walmart and CVS, Walgreens, Costco, um, but that's all going to be folding out into those stores uh, in the coming months of this year. But if somebody wanted to try it out now, um, you can you can just go to Irwin with an I, I-R-W-I-N, naturals.com, and, uh, and you can get it there. Outstanding. Now, for someone who just, they're hearing this conversation, they were just amazed by you, they're going to ask a question because they have zero knowledge here. Well, how do I take it? Is this something I have to cook? Is it a pill? Do I put it in a sandwich? Tell us, walk mm -hmm. us through how to sure. consume it. Sure. So what we do is we take um, we take the the hemp plant and uh, we dry it out, and then um, we pull out the fiber and some of the waxes, and then what's left is a sort of um, kind of amber colored. Um, you know, honey-like resinous substance, and that contains about 300 uh, phytochemicals, which are just molecules in plants, and about 100 of those are called cannabinoids, and others are called terpenes. And um, the dominant, um, the dominant one, uh, because of the species or the genetics of the of the cannabis plants that we pick, uh, are is CBD because we're really we're really trying to breed it to get the high CBD mm -hmm. yield. So once you take that in your stomach, um, your your blood system will distribute it to every cell within your body, you know, within minutes. And that means you can in, put it in your stomach through a, a pill, like a soft gel, or through an oil that you can put on your salad, or a gummy bear, or or anything. It doesn't matter. You know, because it's going to get mixed in in your stomach with other food anyway. So we're offering, we're producing about a hundred different products with CBD, uh, such as you know cold brew coffee that you'd have in a ready-to-drink container in a 7-Eleven, um, mints, you know, gummy bears, chocolate bars, um, a line of skincare products. It does wonders for skin care because of how it reduces inflammation and fights aging and moisturizes. Um, so we have a line called Hydrocana, and the food and the beverage line is called Flow Chi. And uh, then we have a pet line called Love My Pet, 
And then anything that would be in a pill form, you know, like a soft gel, mm-hmm. is under our Irwin Naturals brand. Now, some more obvious questions. I'm, I'm in the mind of our listeners. Someone just said, will it help me lose weight? What would you say to them? Uh, Yes, uh, we have information about the weight loss aspect in the book, Pain Nation. And um, there's so much good good information out there on the Internet about CBD, really um, scientifically correct articles that are being written. Um, Where I would start, you know, I wouldn't focus on one of my products at first. I would focus on just reading for, you know, half an hour on the Internet by Googling weight loss and then CBD, and you'll get some good articles. Then, then you'll understand um, why it impacts weight loss, and it does. And then I would look toward one of our products at Irwin, on IrwinNaturals.com that doubles down. So we have some products that have scientifically or clinically validated um, formulas for weight loss, but that are all natural, you know, made from plant ingredients. And those have been, you know, bestsellers in the market because they work for many years. So what we did is we added like 30 milligrams per dose, you know, of CBD to an already effective weight loss product. So you can think about it as a multi-pronged attack on a given problem that you're trying to solve, not just from one angle or mechanism of action, but from two or more Um or you could just take the CBD. You know, just we sell that as well, and soft gels is a good way to go. But I, if I were trying to lose weight, I would, um, I would take the combo of the CBD and these other uh, dozen powerful plant ingredients because they can work synergistically. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, now I've just went on your website, and I was trying to say, well. What's the easiest way to get it? And now you had something there, but then at the top right and top middle of the website, it says $1 million CBD giveaway. Okay. Yes. So here you are backing your word up with your words and your actions, right? Here you go, right? Yes. You're giving it away for yeah. free. So I said, no, he's not. So I clicked it. I clicked it. I clicked the one on the top right. And I'm saying this for the listeners, top right green little button there, and you can do it on your cell phone right now while you're listening to us. And then it says, you know, get it for free. So I click get it for free, and then it scratches out the price, which, by the way, the price was $32.99. Now, let me just say this here. For our listeners, prices are subject to go up and down. You know, maybe it'll be $33 tomorrow or something, or, or maybe even less, some sort of deal. But it's free. And I just clicked on there, and I'm putting in my information right now, and it's for to come to my house. Tell us, why in the heck are you giving it away for free, a million dollars worth, and should we, well, automatically we should keep coming back to you, but why the heck are you doing this? Well, I mean, I guess it's not for business purposes. I mean, you got to look at my life for the last 10 years. I've been dedicated to nonprofit. You know, meaning I don't care about money. I want to I wanna try to make impact in the world, you know, before I die and make the world a better place for my kids and everyone else. And uh, 
And that's it. To me, that's fun. Why not? You don't have to be a you don't have to call you know you don't have to be thought of as a saint or anything to do that. I think a lot I think a lot of people do that kind of stuff, you know. And sure. so that's what I'm doing with my business. Why can't I use my business? Why can't I blur the line? Like, why does a f- corporation have to be about profit and and not what nonprofits are about? Why, why can't they just, you know, kind of kind of do it both or or go in and out right and so with the million what what i figured you know what when we start really succeeding with this cbd i plan on giving away millions of dollars to low-income veteran clinics who need this cbd to you know children's you know hospitals all kinds of places so and then i thought wait a minute i'm already making money on the other products right my 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 core business so I guess if I'm if I want to give away CBD, why don't we just give it away now? <laughs> so, that, so that's what we yeah. did. That's amazing, man. That's absolutely amazing. So there, you got it there, ladies and gentlemen. This it's free. Go ahead and grab it now. Before we get into some fun weird stuff, I'm still anticipating audience questions. This is good. You like to to you're doing a very good job. Of course, I'm a veteran, so of course I'm all for for that. The CBD. Someone is still asking, is it safe? Okay. So let's just do it this way. We have two, one question that's bifurcated into two different questions. Question number one, is it safe? Question number two, can I overdose off of this? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's safe. Your body already makes it. Mo- you know, most things that we put in our body that are, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, um, or preservatives, our body doesn't uh, manufacture those things. So we're kind of doing an experiment when we put it into our body. But if it's something that your body already makes, like cannabinoids, uh, then it's a, it's, a, it's a logical way to understand part of why it's safe. Okay. And then the second question is, all right, so it's safe because your body makes it anyway. So, But things that your body makes, if you have too much of it, it right. can sometimes be a bad thing. So can you can you overdose on it? Um, so you have to not go too far with that statement and realize that some things, if you take too much of, are bad. Other things, if you eat too much of, it's not bad. Potatoes are an example. If you just eat a lot of potatoes on your plate, you're not going to overdose from potatoes that day. <laughs> like you may yeah. you may not get as much nutrition from other things because you became satisfied from your potatoes, but the potatoes aren't going to cause a, you know a, a, a hypertoxic reaction because you went over a limit or a certain amount, and that's the case uh, with this particular plant. Um, in the in the recorded medical literature, there has never been a single death from um, cannabis. Uh, yeah. overdose. It's just never happened. Um, and so, I mean, compare that to a legal opioid and where people are dying literally every day of the week. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so you, it, it doesn't, uh, it's called LD50. So in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, when you want to test the, you know, toxicity of something, you give it to rats that have very similar genetic profiles um, and metabolic processes to humans. So you give it to these mammals and you keep giving it to them until they die. And so LD50 stands for lethal dose 50%. So it's just a number that means that if I give 
four grams of this to this mammal and he dies right at that level, but three grams he doesn't die, then the LD50 would be half of the four grams. So there's no, there exists no LD50 for um, cannabis. Wow. wow. And it, and it doesn't right. get you high. The second question, Antonio, that people ask that's similar to the safety is, mm-hmm. well, won't this get me high? Um, and so, you know, we talked about that, of course, already. Mm-hmm. No, no, the, the THC molecule gets you high, but the other uh, plant molecules in this plant do not get you high. Exactly. And for centuries, um, people have been healing themselves with the CBD part of, well, well sorry, the only thing we're talking about, right? And you get mm-hmm. high from the THC side. Now, there was something mm-hmm. that you were saying that I'm very interested in opening up because I knew about it and I was really, really glad that you brought it up. Let's go back to the receptors. Let's go back to the receptors. Now, the lock and key is the way you used it, the lock and key. Now, there mm-hmm. is a book out there that, that also – well, there's plenty of books that explains this here. Mm-hmm. But just to give the audience a reference, there's a fantastic book slash movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? That yes. kind of covers – okay, sweet. That covers what we're about to – well, what we're about to talk about right now. Right. Now, this lock and key thing, basically – to take the conversation back, you were talking about being addicted to something. Well, you didn't use those words, but we're all yeah. basically addicted to something. And yeah. it seems as if you were saying we were addicted to two things is what you kept bringing up as far as what I would say your major thesis of this podcast is so far. Mm-hmm. Them-isms or, or, you know, whatever. You have to get how you said it, but it was fun the way you said it. Yeah. And yeah. fear, yeah, okay. these two things. Now, is it safe to say, since our body produces this already for every emotion that we have, that there is a chemical that our body uses as a drug, so to speak, to mm-hmm. push throughout our body and our bloodstream? Is that safe to say? Um, yeah, I would tweak it. It, 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 it. It's true. I would tweak it, or I wouldn't. I would add to it. I would say that think about it like in the in the electromagnetic spectrum, like a kind okay. of um, wave pattern, right, of complexity. So mm-hmm. every time every time you get angry or you sit back and think of uh, cats, right, any thought you can imagine comes correlated with a different pattern or signature in your electromagnetic spectrum, which goes beyond the brain. Your heart puts out much bigger electromagnetic field than the brain, but every cell in your body does. And they all interact in a complex system like an orchestra to create these signatures, right, that are, are electromagnetic auras around you and within your body in the EM spectrum that one can um, associate to every thought and, and behavior. And then those come connected to or map to a chemical change. So not only do the ratios of chemicals instantly change, it happens so fast. You get angry, mm-hmm. boom, in a flash, and your entire 
chemical composition is altered in your brain. But not just that, all kinds of other things are altered. The quantum connectivity or entanglement factor is changed, and many other things are changed. So people get addicted to those patterns. So if you're used to getting angry, or you used or you used to or you used to themism and and the blame game it it can it 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 feels quote unquote good to yep. repeat a pattern that is grooved whether that is a pattern of being addicted to heroin or whether right. it's a pattern of of exercising and being kind to people a grooved pattern takes less energy to flow into than a than a non-grooved pattern and so in this sense patterns are almost like living organisms in the sense yeah. that they have a tendency to survive so you have to mm. be careful of what you think and what you choose to believe and worry about and fear because every time you fear it you groove the pattern deeper and making your body more in this addictive loop, this hamster wheel of feedback loop. And so you almost have to kind of consciously re-engineer the selection of books on the library shelf of your mind, of your beliefs and attitudes, you know? Like somebody's yeah. irritating you. One day you can just decide, wait a minute, why, like, does it really matter? Like, does it really going to hurt me that they do this thing that irritate and you can simply make a choice of free will to not be irritated and then and then what happens is you find that oh crap I'm still irritated well that's the loop so you make an intellectual high level mm. conscious decision and then you face the loop the groove right you face the groove wow. that wants to repeat and be patient and gentle with the groove it only wants to survive like you do so wow. gently gently play with the groove and just just say, all right, the first time I encountered my wife after I decided I wasn't going to get irritated with this or that thing, I actually found myself uh, holding out for 2.3 seconds of, 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 <laughs> of not getting irritated. And then, I, and then I felt and then I succumbed. And then the next time you go, you go, you don't get mad at yourself or whatever. You don't get discouraged. But you, you, you each time you massage it out, it's kind of like when you iron your pants, you don't straighten out the wrinkles on the first pass of the iron. Mm. That's good. That was a perfect analogy. Wow. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. Sorry, I became a fan when you were talking just about it. That was good. That was really, really good. Now, let's go back a few seconds. You be gentle with the, the pattern. The way, I, the way I teach around here is anything that's living is going to anything that's alive won't die without a fight. Yes. So your pattern is basically alive, whether it be well, it's probably both. Neurologically, you've got mm -hmm. enough neural networks pounding on top of each other, and that information highway is firing pretty good. And then lock and key again, you've got this hormonal reaction going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. My question to you is for the audience. Is it safe to say, let's bring up anger again because you brought up anger. So I've got this, mm -hmm. my lock and key is locked in on anger and mm -hmm. fear, and I'm in a relationship. Mm -hmm. If I go happy for two days, two hours, whatever, mm -hmm. is it possible for me to have the same withdrawals from anger that someone on heroin or some opiate would have withdrawals 
from not getting that drug since I am locked and keyed on this anger all the time. Yes, and that's a wonderful metaphor because it allows me to agree with the metaphor and say yes to your question, but to offer the solution through the metaphor. So <laughs> when if you try to if you try to kick um, heroin addiction, cold turkey, I mean it could practically kill you. It's so it's so <laughs> terrible, right? Yeah, we yeah. I, I only know this from the movies, right? But I've seen right. the movies, and so um, but if you if you do it with um, a much safer opioid that is kind of something that helps you segue out of uh, of the heroin and then you can segue off of this other drug, then it can actually be a lot easier. And um, nicotine patches can help someone stop smoking because, you know, you take a nicotine patch that gives you 20 milligrams a day for two weeks and then you go to one that gives you 14 milligrams and you go down to six, then you go down to nothing and you don't even ever have a single day of the pain of the cravings of the monster of the nicotine addiction trying to, you know, grab you back in. And so um, let's say you're in a state of fear and reactionism. Uh, let's say you're afraid of public speaking. And uh, this is the analogy, uh, or this is not an analogy, this is the thought tool I think most of us have heard. People, I've heard so many people say, oh, I overcame my fear of public speaking, and the, some people are terrified, right, by standing up at the podium and visualizing everybody in the audience naked, right? And for those people who that works for, what they've done is that makes them laugh, right? To imagine everybody naked, they get distracted from the fear by the humor, and they just start giggling to themselves, and then they're relaxed and no fear, and then they just do their presentation. So you got to flip the script and figure out how do I not just go cold turkey off of some unhelpful behavior that's become habitual and, a, and an addiction, and how do I flip it to turn that situation into, into a drop of honey that starts gro grooving or replacing you know, a, a, an old negative stimulus with a new mm -hmm. positive and helpful stimulus. So the, wow. the trick is, you, you know, you, and you can invent that, right? It's just, whatever floats your boat. It's just anything that tickles your fancy humor, distracts you, intellectually stimulates you, and just anything that, that, that grabs you. Yeah, and then, and then that's a great way. So I've seen a lot of creative inventions of those sorts of um, div, you know, mental devices. Yeah, that's amazing. Erin, uh, let me ask you a question. How much time do you have? Because I'm free. I'm free for oh you. Oh, my God. Time. I'm so glad you're free. Okay, because uh, we got to keep going. Because I was, cause we need to do like 50 parts to this, right? like part one through 50. Okay, I'm so glad you're free. So I didn't want to hold you up because I just texted my assistant and told her, reschedule because this was getting really good and I was hoping you could. So let's Great. stay there. Let's, let, let's stay there. Yeah. How can well, – okay, let me set you up for that. How can, so I'm, I'm addicted to it like everyone else, and, and I'm going through these withdrawals. I'm, you mentioned the four brain waves, and, and we, you really didn't get to open it up the way I know you could have, and we'll come back to that. But how can CBD help me ease the – pattern 
reinforcement or pattern kicking my butt, I should say. How can CBD mm. help me with that? Because mm. I don't want to be abusive no more. I want to. Mm. I don't want to be angry no more. You use a great wife analogy. I don't. I want to go from two point three seconds to two point three minutes. Mm. <laughs> right. How can right. CBD help me with that? Yes. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to help our listeners understand what it feels like to take CBD without actually taking it, right? Just while they're listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give you some activities that make me shift my brain waves into a higher dominance of alpha and theta and reduce my emergency, you know, state of beta, right? And then any anyone who uh, resonates or, or has had experience noticing that with uh, with for themselves, try to just vibe into that for a second, like tap into that and feel what that feels like in your body. Because when you remember a certain feeling from the past, you re- it's like take it's like taking a you know a DVD out of the case and sticking it in, sticking it into your DVD player. You play your favorite movie again. And you can now. reproduce the chemical signatures and the brain signatures right now by just plucking one of your favorite memories. So a few memories wow. for me that shift me into that state of what CBD feels like would be just me and my two kids, you know, nobody else in the family, not my mother, just me and my two kids, really young, at the park, just messing around for like a couple hours. I don't have anywhere to be you know, Saturday afternoon, and just so relaxed. Like, I'm just into their headspace. Like, I'm not thinking about work or anything deep. Or just, I'm almost more physical at that time. Um, You know, taking a bath, (laughs) a long bath where you're reading something, you know. Um, Long walks in the woods. Um, So these are, these are, you know, the, the, when you're, you know, when you're doing okay in life and, you know, and you wake up in the morning and you just, your mind is kind of in that little nether world between sleep and wake and you're just so relaxed. You don't have any tension in your body. There's no loops churning away in your mind, no noise. Anyway, that's what it feels like to to take um, CBD. That's what I feel like when I take it. And and so, you know, how, how that, attaches to your your question antonio which is you know i think how would you put your question in a nutshell like how does how does how how what's the mechanism of action on how cbd can help unshackle you from a from an addictive loop right so so um for me when i get into those sublime states of chill of just everything is good my body feels good my mind, I kind of feel smarter in a way, like, sure. or maybe maybe wiser is also another word. Like, I feel like I can just overview a situation and just think, not be reactive, you know, not be impetuous, and just and just be almost on a higher plane of 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 having less. Um, amazing. Yeah, less association with the outcome, or like they're gonna think I'm 
you know, they're going to think I'm I'm stupid, or they're going to think this, or he thought I offended him. How dare he think I offended him, right? Uh, and when I'm in those states of mind, I, I just don't go there. I'm more the observer, and I'm like, oh, interesting. He thought I offended him. You know, that's it, with no judgment on the thought, right? So just shifting into alpha and uh, higher alpha and, and theta will do that. And you don't have to use CBD to do it. It's just like CBD is kind of like meditation and a pill. <laughs> you know, you, you, get, yeah. you safely get to that brainwave without, you know, without going for the walk in the park. Yeah, and for me, I believe now I'm not I'm not as versus CBD as you, but CBD is natural. It's 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 one of those you know it's not one of those yeah you know all our medicine is not like the the chemistry for heroin, which is the same thing as morphine. To be honest with you, it's the exact same thing. One's just a schedule one drug, one is heroin. The the it's beautiful the chemistry of it. However, it's mm. dangerous and it's a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, you know, the mathematics yeah. behind it, because I mm. like math, right? Mm -hmm. But mm. CBD isn't like that. Meditation, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm talking to a quantum physicist, meditation produces harmony in the body. Yes. Medication simulates harmony in the body. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, in a way, it depends what medication, but a lot of the medications to me are like the principle of, you know, Western medicine, which is you got a problem in your body, lay down, let me get my scalpel, my, I'm going to cut <laughs> yeah. it out. It's not about harmony, it's about let me let me fight that thing and, and destroy exactly. it, right, locally. Um, and so that's the difference. There's this big growing trend in holistic medicine, which is people you know, like medical doctors. So they're trained on that side, but then they know something about psychology and how the body influences, yeah. your your mind influences hormones. And they know something about plant medicine and nutritional medicine. You know, you, do you know that medical doctors, that all the years they have to go to school, they only are required to take about four hours of training on nutrition. Crazy. Right? And it, it's, it's funny. I mean, the, the human body is 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 uh i mean if you're going to have a car the first thing you need to know is how to how to feed it with how to change the oil you know what kind of gasoline yeah. to give it yeah that would be nutrition for a car yeah yeah absolutely well you when you were explaining how you feel when you made us all take cbd while listening i heard harmony now this is where we're going to get even weirder I heard harmony. Now, of course, listen, I'm, I'm going to touch a different school of thoughts so we can include everyone. So if you, you're new age thinking, law of attraction, mm -hmm. let's see, if you're mm -hmm. in a church, prayer, mm -hmm. let's see, philosophy, you have, let's go with Plato philosophy, mm -hmm. you have journeyed outside of your body and you're in the the world of the forms. The, the perfect realm, mm -hmm. just all sorts of stuff, right? Now, yeah. I'm trying to hit everybody. Yeah, I heard harmony as you were talking, and it seems as if you were saying that CBD gets those four brain waves, and it literally, there's no reason to be in withdrawals because you're in harmony yes. with the universe. Is that fair yes. to say? Yes, you're in harmony with everything in the universe, which includes your own body, the people around you whom you're dealing with, 
the environment, the room, and on, beyond, and on, right? Because with the quantum principles, you, the connectivity never stops with entanglement. That's right. That's mm-hmm. all. Yes, entanglement. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. I, slammed out. I love entanglement. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you, you know, mention some of those metaphysical, um, mystical, and spiritual kind of ideas. You know, I'll tell yeah. you, I, uh, I, came, I came to realize this stuff is true through a sort it of... true. Uh, unexpected route. So about 10 years ago, I was just a, a good-natured uh, businessman at a vitamin company, and I would describe myself at that time as an atheist and materialist, right? And the reason I was is because the knowledge I had, right, that was the best I could do, and I didn't have a lot of knowledge, but some, but, but smart scientists seem to say oftentimes that that stuff's just delusional, right? Mm. And so not having the time to do the research myself or really look into it and critically think about it, I just sort of became a sheep. And, you know, I I abrogated my, you know, my kind of sovereignty to make my own decision to the status quo. And I said, yeah, that's stupid. Anybody who believes in that stuff, they're just, they're naive. They're they're romantic, wishful thinkers, you know. And, um, and, and then, and then I had some abrupt reality checks. My nine-year-old son turned out to be able to somehow uh, see things that he couldn't have been seeing with, you know, with his ordinary senses. But, but yeah. at the time when he did that, I was a materialist. So as a materialist, mm. the first thing you think is if it's an adult, they're tricking you. It's like some kind of, you know, magician or trickster, right? A hustler or something. Yeah. Uh, but he was nine. You know, or you could think it's a coincidence he got lucky. So then, mm. the, the, being the good materialist that I was, I tested him with this situation that was um, just over and over and over. Like he could see things that were in other places and that I could check. And then I could do that over and over and over until I have no choice as a, as a kind of rational person who understands statistics to, to realize holy crap, I have lived my whole life thinking that this stuff I saw in, you know, people talking about in movies or spiritual people, like people in What the Bleep, I, I've spent my whole yep. life thinking, thinking that that was just BS, but, but never checking it out. And, oh, it turns out to be true. I mean, you've got a nine-year-old kid, and you've figured out every way possible to make sure he's not just tricking you, <laughs> right? Yeah, or that it's yeah. not coincidence. And then, boom, it's not. And then right around that time of my life, then I dove into looking at, you know, a peer-reviewed scientific literature on these subjects and other things. And then, lo and behold, I found that I could do these things, right? These psychic right. phenomena, spiritual phenomena. And then I found out that anybody can do these things, right? right. Anybody can, have a, can make contact with consciousnesses. So then I, so then I basically um, found that as I went deeper into this fundamental physics approach that we work on at quantum gravity research, which is called emergence theory, um, as we started understanding the mathematics and really using our minds to rigorously think about this, you know, the, what, is the old, what is this code at the fabric of reality? Like, what might it be, right? And, wow. and so as we started probing that, always, always making sure that experimental science is always going to trump any of your theories and stories, mm-hmm. right? We started realizing that consciousness is, the idea of what consciousness is, is not 
in this physics, as, as we understand it, even as the status mm -hmm. quo understands it, actually, uh, it's a little known secret that most physicists will admit to you that consciousness, there's nothing in physics that restricts consciousness to exist in matter, atoms, right? Like in mm. your brain, there's a bunch of atoms and somehow uh, how they act together as a group, uh, Antonio-ness emerges, from, right. from that. It doesn't have to be, uh, the laws of physics today don't require it to be in matter. They can, it can be in, no. in uh, photons, right? Different kinds of yeah. particles. It can also be spread across time. Some people may have seen the movie last year or the year before called Arrival. And in that movie, yes. uh, right, these, these creatures, these beings from another planet, they could think across time. Right? What does that even mean, right? Because yeah. I think one moment at a time, I put sentences together in strings and so one by one, right? But these, these beings that came to Earth, they were literally thinking thoughts. Their very consciousness was distributed across time yeah. range, right? So the forms of consciousness that are allowed within the physics we know today allow consciousnesses that are not in bodily form and that are not relegated necessarily to uh, your time locally, right? If you, if you allow the implications of quantum mechanics to come in. So I now believe yeah. that we can contact things that, for example, Antonio, you probably exist in the future, um, yep. right? And certainly the near-term future, right? I mean, barring a car accident or something, you probably with 99% certainty exist one year from now. And Einstein showed us that the past, the future, and the present all exist, right? They, they, right? It's not that the future doesn't exist yet or that the past no longer exists. It was, it, uh, before 1905, people did think that, but the new, the new view is that Antonio, one year from now, with 99% certainty, because that's how certain it is that he'll live, um, exists. So then the only question is, interesting, so in principle, is it possible for Antonio from 19... From 2019 to say what's up to Antonio from 2020. Absolutely. And if Antonio could do that, the one here with us today, if he could do that in principle, is that kind of like a spiritual thing? Because here's Antonio mm -hmm. talking to some consciousness that's not exactly physically here with us now. It's his future self, right? And then what happens if you go into the deeper future of Antonio, yeah. right? And and how about a person 2,000 years in the future who's not even Antonio, right? And what yeah. hap And what's the upper limit of consciousness in the universe? Because, you know, I weigh about 180 pounds, so I'm a bunch of fundamental particles that self-organized with such miraculous complexity yeah. that upon the ocean of their interactions emerges this non-definable quality called cleanness, right? Me. Mm. And it, and can't put your finger on what it is, what consciousness is, but it certainly is emergent. And so what's the upper limit of particles and mass, energy, space-time that can self-organize into a conscious system or a system of systems that are conscious, which is itself conscious? And, yeah. of course, the upper limit would be all of the mass energy in the universe could, in principle, according to the, the current laws of physics, be self-organized into a system of conscious systems that is itself conscious. Now, all of a sudden, as geeky and reasonable as that sounds, deductively, it sounds a lot like some of the 
spiritual and mystical things from people in the past, you know, yeah. when they didn't have the sophistication of science and ideas, they use different metaphors, you know, and they label it as this God or God, the yeah. God, the big God, these little gods, whatever. So I don't know what exists out there in the realms of consciousnesses across space-time. I just know that they can be really big and different than us. Absolutely. So I'm really big into string theory, which I'm sure we'll touch on here in a little bit. Well, we kind of did, but uh, a little bit. But I want to I want to throw some weird stuff out that I've been teaching lately. That and not in absolute. I've just been telling everybody because we know for sure that I, in fact, I talked this Wednesday night. We know for sure Einstein, you know, redefined our view of time. Mm-hmm. And Latin inspiration is to is forces outside have mm-hmm. inside of you ignited something right external mm-hmm. outside inside right. of you in Latin word yeah. now and and of course my degrees made me learn a few in Latin but when you think about that I've kind of merged some Max Tegmark rewrites our mathematical universe Mm -hmm. and uh, string theory, Einstein and religion. And I just said to myself, well, maybe, maybe, maybe since future me, which is now me and past Mm -hmm. me, which is also now me. And then now me, right. Which is now me. If all these me's, exist at the same time. It it would have to be because I can't think in the past if it was actually past, it would be over and I can't think to something that does not exist. Mm -hmm. Another Latin word, ex nihilo, out of nothing, Mm -hmm. right? I can't think there. So it has to exist. And then I said to myself, wow, I believe that when I get inspired, future me one of the superposition future me's, right? One of the me's that is doing it the way I want it done. I relaxed in my mind and got in vibration. Yeah. With yeah. the future me. And the future oh, me said, well, yeah. wow, I'm so glad you're here. I've been trying to get in touch yeah. with you. Now that you're here, let yeah. me think now as future me and his thoughts now become inspiration to me now, right? Yeah. He's just yep. throwing it back to me. And then, yep. boom, I get these million-dollar ideas. I'm successful today. So mm-hmm. give us some feedback mm-hmm. on that weird, wacky. Oh, talk. man, Antonio, I can't believe you said that. I love that. That's the, <laughs> the, that's the theme of emergence theory. We wrote, we wrote a book. Uh, wow. I mean, so we so so if you look on my research gate dot uh, org profile, there's all these papers uh, that that I'm that we wrote me and and the scientists here, and there's one of them that's called the hard problem of consciousness. Wow! And uh, you just find it there on ResearchGate. Put my I'm name in. I'm gonna read in. them all. I'm gonna read you, them all. You, sure. That one paper though, you would dig that paper to start with. The hard problem of consciousness toward you know toward a a new approach it's called a new approach to the hard problem of consciousness so here's wow. the thesis okay so i'm going to i'm going to paint for you um two forms of consciousness that are bigger uh than you right so right. one is let's take 
Antonio, when he was just born, and his little consciousness, and then the day after he was born, and then the, and then every second, every moment of his life, all the way up until now, right? Billions of moments of Antonio's individual consciousnesses, and put and and put each moment kind of like a a, a playing card. Right. Wow. So now we've got these billions of moments. So we have this giant stack as tall as the Empire State Building of these playing cards, which are the moments of Antonio's local consciousness, his consciousness at one moment in his life. Right. Mm. And each playing card in that moment is vastly conscious. Right. Wow. And then let's go. Let's build the stack taller than the Empire State Building, and let's put in another billion, several billion playing cards to represent each moment of the further advanced Antonio's because Antonio is a hardcore lifelong learner, right? That's probably why he's doing these podcasts because he just thinks and learns. He's expansive. He's expanding and he keeps expanding. And so you go all the way to the end and then Antonio's old and wise and just powerful consciousness. So now imagine a neural network, that's topologically mm. connected, which means by, by quantum entanglement, where a moment yeah. now in the past can be connected to a moment in the future. And this is, by the way, experimentally proven in 2014, I believe, in uh, Technion University in Israel, that they entangled two particles across time. Very bizarre, yeah. but proven now. So yeah. now you've got this uber consciousness that runs through the deck of playing cards, right? Just runs vertically mm. through a vastly more exponentially connected neural network that's far more intelligent than any individual Antonio. So yes, the Antonio from 2025 should, with all of his learning, be wiser and deeper than the Antonio today. Uh, and, wow. he, and Antonio could, in principle, tune in to that slightly older Antonio and, in principle, yeah. have a conversation and say, and, 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 yeah. And, and, yeah, share some wisdom, you know. Um, but Antonio can tap into something even uh, greater than the Antonio from the future, which is this vast transtemporal form of consciousness that's really hard to explain. You can't think of it just like the Antonio from the future or the Antonio here on the podcast. Those are the local Antonios. Wow. This is a this is a transtemporal, vastly more conscious mm. consciousness. It's in the same time it's like Antonio. Antonio is a subspace or a subset or a subconsciousness within that more vast stack of playing cards. Now let's go to the last one which is imagine the consciousness that can emerge from the collective of all of the playing decks of every living thing across all of space-time into the deep future and the deep past, and then take the things that you would label as non-living, such such as rocks and mountains and planets, and network the whole thing into a vast quantum topologically connected network, which the current physics allows and then yeah. imagine well in principle what type of god-like consciousness could that be and could it somehow be the very substrate of the code at the Planck scale the pixelated fabric of reality from which it itself emerged so this is mm. 
what this paper is about uh, that, that you might look at, and it's called the Ouroboros Principle. So in ancient kind of intuited philosophies um, from China to India to all sorts of places in the Americas and in Africa, there was this gestalt of thought, which was this snake wrapped into a circle where the most complicated and the largest part of the snake at the head was connected to the smallest and simplest part of the snake, the tail. Mm. It's as though the beginning were connected into the end, into a logically self-consistent circle. And so this idea that consciousnesses can evolve in an evolutionary, learning, growing universe far, far vaster than what our consciousness is, and yeah. our consciousness is vast. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And if you go up to these unimaginable levels and then you ask, well, if it all evolves from simpler and simpler things until you get to the dead end at the simplest things of all, which are at this mm. Planck scale pixelation of reality, which is a quantum mechanical concept that's just a very, very, very small uh, volumes in space and time. And then those self-organize according to a space-time code. And at the end wow. of the day, one, one says, well, in that view, the Ouroboros view, well, where the heck does this space-time code live? What is its substrate? Oh, the mind of God. Okay, but where did the mind of God come from? Oh, the yeah. mind of God evolved in an evolutionary universe from itself. The God mm. self-actualized itself to become the growing, evolving substrate of the universe. And, it, and so it doesn't require a Judeo-Christian concept of, mm -hmm. or, uh, of a God from outside the universe, which is not part of us, creating right. us by being in a good mood one day and just creating reality. It allows right. a new form of spiritualism uh, that, that, that is holistic, where where the notions of higher spiritual things, including a god, a godlike idea, um, yeah. you know, is is the substrate of all, and we are actually part of it, just helping to contribute more experience and more information to to grow from. Amazing, amazing, and in sense, bringing it back to entanglement, since everything in the universe was in one dense place to begin with and is expanding by most scientists' mm -hmm. thoughts, mm -hmm. then we're, we would still, by entanglement throughout time, that you say has been proved since 2014, mm -hmm. that Albert Einstein also called spooky, what is it, spooky things that are different. Yep, yep. That would still mean, then, this spatial or no it's not even spatial this consciousness that outside of judeo-christian understanding this consciousness we're still connected to it and the reason that we get to create things out of nothing is because that consciousness creates things out of nothing is that fair absolutely yeah absolutely and by the way you know i i think that the judeo-christian and and you know many of the world religion you know concepts and stories they they solidly um can support this Absolutely. kind of view it's not Absolutely. it's not contradictory 
And here's the crazy thing. My degrees are there. That's why I didn't mm-hmm. mention my, see, yeah. here's, here was my journey. My journey was I was in church and, and the pastor can, well, I was in one church. Well, I was adopted. So I got adopted. I grew up mm-hmm. homeless, blah. We, we skip mm-hmm. that story. It's pretty much famous mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. But then I'm sitting there and I'm getting lied to, and I know I'm getting lied to, right? It's, it's hate, mm-hmm. hate gays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muslims are going to hell, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. like that. And I'm like, wow, yeah. this is, that's, that's poison. You know, I, I can't verbalize it. I'm 16, 17, but I know it's poison. It doesn't fit right with mm-hmm. me. So I ask a question, I don't get an answer. No problem. I go off to the Army, become military intelligence in the Army. Mm-hmm. And now I'm realizing everything is subjective. And the right. Army taught me more objectivity because the army doesn't have time for subjectivity, at least not military Mm -hmm. intelligence. We need hard facts and data that is Mm -hmm. objective because people's lives are online. So Mm -hmm. then I get out the army and now I'm going back into all this subjectivity. No Mm -hmm. one has any answers. Nothing's real. I go to another church. I'm trying to find these answers. I ask a question. I can't get an answer. So I finally get upset, you know, Mm -hmm. and I say, I'm going to school. And mm-hmm. I'm going to figure out, you know, so I'll go get my, go to Houston Baptist University. I'll go get my bachelor's in Christianity and my minor in biblical languages. Now, I'm a scientist at heart, so I never take the approach. I took the approach like a lawyer would take a case. I'm coming right. in, yeah, to, to, to look at the opposing view signs and all that stuff like that. And, okay, I learned, so I go get my master's. I'm, I still don't get my answer. I go get my master's. Then I go get my master's, but by the time I get out the master's, I'm realizing, wait a minute. I've heard about this quantum physics thing. So I start getting beginner books in quantum physics. Beginner. Mm-hmm. Very, very beginner. There's no no footnotes, yeah. you know. Yeah, nothing yeah. yeah, nothing like that. Yeah. And then I fell across Schrodinger's cat and it changed yeah. my life forever. Like most other people, right? <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. Do that and it blows my mind. That theoretically, this guy could be alive, you know, at the same time. Then I think, learn about the conscious observer, and then it hits me. Everybody is saying the same thing hmm. and quibbling over the non-essentials. Thank you. <laughs> I was That's just right. Asked, what would this. you say to that? <laughs> um, so I, so, 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 you know, I'll tell you, We've been at this 10 years, as I mentioned, and we we couldn't have done what we've done with the progress we've made without all the stories of everybody right. else. That is, yes. the spiritual stories, the scientific stories like quantum mechanics. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's the thing about, about, you know, any story. You tell a true story you're going to recount the facts, and you're going to get some of it blurry. You have a vision, and you see God, and you write about it, and you're going to get some of it right, and some of it you're going to speak through your your own interpretations, of which become your metaphor. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I agree with you. I think that there's, that there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of a lot of truth that people are arguing about and they don't even know that they're just explaining the same truth with two different models or two different yes. ways of explaining. That's beautiful the way you said that. That's absolutely beautiful. Wow, that's uh, wow, that was liberating. 
Can you go deeper into that? Because that was extremely liberating if someone was to catch what you just said. Well, what if what if we've all always been doing what Antonio is doing, right? Antonio, you talked about, you know, you have a suspicion that a lot of times the the brilliant moves that you've made in your life, the epiphanies of thought and insight and the right decisions you made were 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 often subtly guided by by your higher selves, your future yep. selves, maybe this deck of playing cards I talked about, right? Yeah. And but and so but but what if you didn't believe in that crap? Would yeah, that right? stop would that stop you? Would that necessarily stop you from being guided? No. You don't have to know you're being guided to be guided. <laughs> right. So right. we're what if what if all of us throughout history have always been connected to this topolo- this quantum topological net where bleeding through all the time is some what we call non-local information, right? Information from different minds, different places, different spaces wow. that are not by sound waves or light waves, but they're actually through this more deeper quantum mechanics. If that's the case, then we've all been participating in an evolutionary collective mind of human consciousness where the achievements that are occurring like the ability to leave the planet for the first time in four billion years a species is about to leave the planet in mass with sufficient Mm. technology most of our descendants will be born off planet because you can only go you can only double population a, a few times with limited resources. For example, right. if there's there's a few hundred bacteria on an apple and you let them double by just setting the apple down on the forest floor, they'll double a few times and doubling algorithms sneak up on you like a thief in <laughs> the night because yeah. after only a few doublings, they become numbers that would be greater than all of the atoms in the entire universe. And so, of course, they can't double very many times. So that apple right. with just a handful of doublings with, the, with, its, with its bacteria, that bacteria consume the resources of the apple, returning all the elements back to the forest floor, right? So on a planet, right. on, a, on an apple-like planet Earth, there is an organism that is, has now transcended biological competition. So unlike right. other animals, we can double at will until we use yeah. up the resources of the planet. So in order for the doubling algorithm to continue and for high consciousness to spread throughout the entire universe, a, an unabated doubling algorithm of consciousness and beings and their technology and their ability to learn quantum physics to connect ourselves non-locally and unify the paradigms of spiritualisms with the with the paradigms of of physics for that for that to explode and the genie to get out of the bottle an animal somewhere in the universe has to discover the the quantum gravity theory you That's develop right. the technologies, both psychic and spiritual technologies, as well as, as physics technologies, and then move their consciousness out. Because once you go beyond Earth, there is no resource limitation to halt the doubling algorithm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, okay, so let's stay there. 
and let's bring up climate change then. Uh, mm-hmm. Somehow, we weirdly got to climate change. I don't even know how we did. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. let's go with the doubling on the forest floor. At some point, and you wisely said it, that those that apple just becomes nourishment <clears throat> to be mm-hmm. recycled throughout the universe all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Essentially, for the audience, the same air Buddha breathes mm-hmm. or the same mm-hmm. air Jesus breathes is the mm-hmm. same air you're breathing right now. It's right. the same. It's this great yeah. ecosystem. That yeah. being said, climate change seems to be – well, let me before I do that, because I've got to make a leap that I don't want people not to be able to follow me with – it seems as if since we're doubling now, everything in the universe is at harmony, which I would back up your CBD argument. Mm-hmm. The, the whole ecosystem, the whole apple doubling and then going back into the universe, that's CBD putting you back in harmony with your brain, word, brain waves, yeah. allowing yeah. you to be in harmony with the universe. So over and over again, we keep coming back to harmony and how CBD creates harmony in your brain. Yeah. Now, the, the antithesis, in fact, let's do, let's do Hegelianism. George Hegel, you, you know this, but the audience, yeah. George Hegel was, uh, let's call him a philosopher, and I think I was 16, I can't remember right now. But right. he postulized that, no, there is no thesis and there is no antithesis. There's only a synthesis. You have a thesis that I that that stays around for a while, and then over time, natural time, there becomes an argument to that thesis, and that argument to that thesis becomes the opposing viewpoints or mm-hmm. the antithesis or antithesis, depending on how you mm-hmm. want to pronounce it. Then that antithesis argues with the thesis over time, and then over time the two must clash. And when they do, you don't get the thesis winning, nor do you get the antithesis winning. You get a synthesis of both sides. Mm-hmm. That being said, a great example of that is American slavery. American mm-hmm. slavery is good. That happened for 400 some years. American mm-hmm. slavery is bad. That happened for about 40 years. And mm-hmm. you don't get the abolishment of slavery. You get the synthesis of the two, Jim Crow, right, and things mm-hmm. like that, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That being said, back to climate change. We're, we're talking here, but back to climate change. What if, now I'm not saying this, but it's worth talking about. The it seems to be the way this universe is in harmony with itself is even in its destruction, it's still in harmony with itself. A hurricane is disharmony in hot and cold air plus warm water. And Mm -hmm. it corrects itself through you've got some currents that'll do this, the North Atlantic current, all sorts of stuff that will yeah. also help with this that control tropical climate. And then it corrects itself by destroying itself. A hurricane in a sense, or a cyclone, depending on what part of the world you're in, in a sense, is a correction of 
something doubling itself too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. I love it. So, yeah. so let me let me let me put out a um, a sure. wild statement. What if, as some mystical texts and religious texts have said, what if humans play an important role in the universe? Right? That sounds arrogant in today's secular age where most people presume that intelligent life must exist in countless locations throughout the universe. Um, so let's explore that with three critical yeah. thinking ideas and connect it exactly to what you're saying. Carl Sagan um, some oh, I love him. 50, 50 years ago, was absolutely convinced that because there must because there must be life on so many planets that there must be intelligent life like us on other planets. So he got money from Congress to pay NASA to do the SETI project, where they looked at all distances in time and space. So radio telescopes they can point to a coordinate that is giving you light information from a million years ago, a billion years ago. Five billion years ago, we can point in any direction of yeah. space or time and get that data. So we started looking around and doing these vast surveys of the sky, looking in every place in time and space, and we didn't hear anything in the first year. And then the second year, nothing. You could hear a pin drop as though we were all alone out there. And so some 50 years later, the hardest core evidence that humans are the first planet where life escaped the biosphere and became highly conscious and technological, this may be the first. It has to happen somewhere. Evidence uh, number two. So the evidences are not proof. They're simply data points to consider. So we've listened and we haven't heard anything and we've listened very carefully. And, and many people are writing articles now that it's a head scratcher that if there were technological life in the, in the, deep, in the deep, deep recesses of space and time, we would have certainly have heard it because any advanced species will manipulate the very fabric of space-time itself, which is rate, which is the electromagnetic spectrum, right, fills space-time. And when you start discovering physics, you, you begin to create devices that, that can manipulate the EM spectrum, and then other people somewhere else can pick up those signatures that are distinctly different than, than just the ordinary electromagnetism uh, sprayed out from suns and planets, right? Mm. So evidence number two is evolution abhors imbalance. And so an wow. example, there's a, there's a brood of lions one year on the African Serengeti, and two cubs are so severely mutated that their intelligence is a full 25% greater than the average intelligence of lions. Wow. That's a, that's a big jump, but it can happen. Yeah. So then those, those little cubs, they mate, and they have, they have another few dozen, and their average intelligence is significantly higher. Now this new, this new brood of lions exists on the savannas of Africa that is a full 25% smarter than the other lions. And within two seasons, they so severely outsmart the gazelle population upon which their very survival depends that they drop the gazelle population below reproductive threshold. Within another couple years, the gazelle population has died off and that 
kills off the lion population, including the new smart lions. And this is exactly what is in the fossil record and that evolutionary biologists understand. Nature creates synergy in biology, right? And that, right. that, 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 that synergy, it's crucial that one animal not be very much smarter than the other animals in its predator-prey ecosystem, and, no, and also not, not too much faster, right? Not too much bigger teeth. Everything has to go as a group, right? We evolve in a symphony of harmony until one animal came along called Homo sapiens about 800 million years ago. It had a grotesquely larger brain-to-body mass ratio than any other animal in the fossil uh, records. And indeed, there have been 100 million species on this planet so far, and only one of them has had anywhere remotely close to the brain-to-body mass ratio of humans, the ability wow. of abstract story. You have the ability to worry about the past. Did I pay enough taxes in 2017? And... Will I be able, because of those decisions, to put my daughter through college next year, or is she going to become a stripper? And so we have <laughs> yeah, the right? ability right, to create these amazing abstract stories and arcs across time. And this includes the ability to create mathematics and the ability to get off the planet and the ability to literally transcend the corrective system of the biosphere. Remember Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can. Humans, wow, humans, yeah, humans evolved and we became way out of balance. Like it's not even a close competition. There's no animal that, can, that we can't destroy. In fact, we're getting very close with our technology to being able to sterilize the life, the, uh, life of the planet entirely. We're not there yet because microbes and other things would survive. But we in the near future could have the technology to literally destroy the biosphere. So the biosphere tried to catch us. The Russian, uh, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis could be thought of as an example of a one time where our, our, our out-of-balance technology, our, we, we, we could have destroyed ourselves, and we're part of the biosphere. So it would have been the biosphere destroying a cancerous thing, right? Now, so let's turn, lemonade, let's turn these lemons into lemonade. What if it actually requ the very existence of reality actually required some animal against all odds to get off a planet, expand into high consciousness, hack the very code of reality at the smallest scales and deeply understand it and in order to to evolve further outwards and 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 become and and participate in a further evolving universe that becomes this godlike mindlike substrate of the very code, right? So it's yeah. it's that Ouroboros idea. So I think humanity might be that because of the evidence of not if it being like a pin drop out there, because of the evidence of the number 100 million species. By the way, planet Earth has had life for one-third the age of the universe. And the universe wow. is very young, and that will be the third uh, and last point. So on the second point, one last idea is that if you go to a university statistician and you say, hey, I'm going to make a presentation, I want to show what the statistical probability is on other planets with life, 
for you know how how many times out of you know what the percentage is that this crazy you know abstract intelligence that humans have that can make iPhones and mathematics and leave the planet right like how yeah. how often would that happen and he would say no problem i can work that out for you give me the sample size and the quantity of instances and you'd give them 100 million for the sample size that is this plant, this biosphere in a third the age of the universe has cranked out 100 million different species and then wow. he'll say okay great he'll write that down and he'll say now now how many times did the did this event happen that you want to know the stats for the probability for and you, and you'll say oh just one he'll laugh yeah. at you and say get the hell out of my office you don't know <laughs> yeah. you don't know math you can't take a sample size of one against against a 100 you can't take an incident of one out of 100 million and attach anything it could very well be that that has never happened before and never will happen it right you don't, if it was only three times in 100 million now you could work some statistics so it's very bizarre that it's happened once in one third the age of the universe so the final point is the age of the universe you need to measure the universe in terms of solar lifetimes so those of us who have seen documentaries like cosmos we might have seen these beautiful pictures from nasa of interstellar star birthing nurseries right these interstellar clouds of gas where gravity condenses the matter and a star is born and then planets eventually revolve around it right so so the average lifetime of one of these stars is 10 billion years ours is an average star and so therefore you should count the age of the universe in terms of how many solar lifetimes there could have been right 1.4 the universe is 14 billion years old and that means it's 1.4 solar lifetimes old we're just getting started folks yeah. it's very early and a great amount of the time anyway in the first 1.4 solar lifetimes was not possible for life anywhere because everything was very hot right That's only right. when things cool down and these solar lifetimes will go on to countless numbers like the universe in all the cosmological models like big bang and co you know the big crunch all of these allow countless mm -hmm. solar lifetimes so so the, it has to happen so we're not the first planet with life that would be too hard to believe probably there's life on 50% of the planets in the universe yeah. where there there's a distance to the sun that is not too hot and cold such that liquid water can exist and so yeah. that would leave a lot of life all over the place, just like the fact that we have had 100 billion species, 100 million species here. But this high consciousness life, there's, an, there, there's, there's basically a catch-me-if-you-can factor that almost every time the living biosphere is able to snuff an animal out that is going to mess up the symbiosis, the, the synergy between you know, biological systems. It's not going to get us. It's kind of too late. We're about to get off the planet. We're, we don't have a Cold War with Russia. Um, we're probably going to be okay. We're probably not going to have an apocalypse movie happen to us, like Waterworld, right? Right. Um, but, but we also might not. Like, we might not get off yeah. the planet, and then you can have a Mad Max collapse of science. Because science will collapse. The progress in science will collapse if if all systems of society were to have a massive um, catastrophic collapse. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like I can r remember the future if I try to tune into it. It's vague. It's yeah. fuzzy. It's almost like I'm not even sure of myself. But I feel yeah. like in my bones, 
that I could remember us getting through this and that there wow. and that there is you know the human mind is so plastic that's the ability to change and adjust in in just a snap of a finger it's not like evolving a better achilles tendon that takes a long time thoughts constructs of mind the way we believe these can change on a dime or they can remain around for years but the, but the fact is that we can change our belief systems in mass in profound ways and in the last minute like a perfectly written Hollywood cliff, you know, hanger, nail biter movie, mm -hmm. like just at the 12th hour, we can pull it through. We can develop technologies that begin to, you know, replace dirty energy that begin to, you know, rebalance the out of control use of pharma of doctors giving out prescriptions like candy to trick or treaters on Halloween and get back into balance with our body. Start, stop hating so much and loving stop you know, worrying about America being Captain America. Like, this isn't the 1940s. Like, we don't, know, need right? to, we don't need America to be great again if what great again means when we used to run around the world like, a, like an imperialist colonial bully with our financial and our military power. Like, like that's, I don't want to be great like that. I want to be great more like, you know, like, like how do we help the world? Like, how do we become, how do we have love, you know? Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. And you bring up a, a whole lot of stuff. I didn't even tell you. Well, you, you could have maybe found out, but I announced, and I haven't even told this podcast yet. So if you're listening this far in the podcast, four weeks ago, I announced that I'm running for president of the United States. Like, real talk. Awesome. For real. Awesome. Yeah, you got yeah, my vote. Absolutely, yeah. And the reason being is two reasons. For one, where I come from is you know, extreme poverty super-duper extreme poverty where the drug dealer was the hero of the land because he was the guy, because that was all we had. You know, extreme poverty. But I've been telling people the last four weeks, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not against anything. I'm, I'm for the, the advancement of, of mankind. And either our politicians don't know half of what we're talking about or they do know and just simply are controlling the outcome by doing, you know, not doing something or doing something at all. And it brings me, it brings me to understanding that here we are. Actually, let's do this here. Let's, let, me, let, let me jump out of that. I'm running for president, everybody. I didn't mean to plug myself, but, hey, I am a salesman, so I plug <laughs> But let me, let, me, let, let me jump somewhere else real quick because you brought it up. Let's talk about human beings again, and let's, let's do this 100 million years, et cetera. And let's go back to where everybody on every continent is building pyramids at the same time. Like that, mm -hmm. that's insane, okay? That's insane. Mm -hmm. Now, now by, <laughs> for some of our audience, they were like, well, the aliens did it. I, I get it. It's cool. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad at you. It's, it's all right. By definition, aliens would be anything <laughs> from not planet Earth, right? But let's keep right. it to planet Earth just for a second. Let's keep it to planet Earth. Let's just say we haven't left the, the world. Mm -hmm. What if, and I'm going to combine string theory here, okay? <clears throat> what if, I think string theory has us in 12 dimensions maybe? I want to say it's 12. Maybe, something yeah, like, like 11 that. Yeah, di 11 dimensions. 
Eleven dimensions. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, and what if we think? And, I, and now, please, this is me. I have no idea how I know this information. I don't. I have. I just. I retain everything I read. And I'm, I'm not sure. Like, there's something. It's, it's. It's always happened to me. But in the last ten years, my the weirdness we can talk about, man that's happening mm-hmm. in my brain is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely, I can't explain to you how my brain waves are so, I'm not even sure how to explain it, but I just. It's like there's an enlightenment like, going, it's yes. like an enlightenment going on yes. in your life. Yes. Yes. And it's been for the last 10 years, man. I'm just a lot smarter than what, you know, society says I should be. My, my, it's mm-hmm. just off the chart. What if, mm-hmm. And I said that to say this here, what if we've been thinking about dimensions all wrong? Now, I'm making this up, okay? This is a thought thought experiment from me, like Albert Einstein sitting in the patent office, okay? Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. What if we focus so much of our growing up and vertically when dimensions are maybe more horizontally? And then Mm -hmm. what if, what if, we are human beings that are here, but what our ancestors or what some people call ancient aliens are also homo sapiens. So let's take them out for being yeah. aliens. And what if they were so highly evolved in their brain waves that they just simply exist? in multiverse or just in another dimension. We right. can't see it. Yeah, yeah, we can't see it because yeah. our brain waves aren't – we haven't tapped into that frequency, but I yeah. truly believe that is the actual case. I really do. Me, me too. So I can even segue this to where we left off on the last story, Sweet. which is which is about this idea of, you know – deep time so we get the genie is high consciousness so everything's conscious to one degree or another but not everything is of equal consciousness you know mm. i have i have one breed of dogs and and they seem a little bit more conscious than my maltese and coincidentally they rank number 1 or 2 on the 100 dogs on smartness smartness right and and my Maltese ranks 87, and that's a list of 100. <laughs> so mm-hmm. similarly, we are more conscious than a microbe, right? That's not wow. arrogant to say. Yep. Now, so the thing is, is if 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 this high consciousness that we've that we've done the catch me if you can with with the biosphere, and we've almost transcended the biosphere's ability to correct us, right? Then then it is a good thing because we get off the planet and spread our high consciousness everywhere in the universe. Now, if if a being in our deep descendant tree were as different as us than we are from caterpillars and giraffes, right, all having come from a common mother in a genetic lineage, but where we speciate, we become different. So what if our descendants are so radically different than us, just as we are the cousins of butterflies, but we are not butterflies. We're just right. related. 
good and stuff. so now you've got something that's not human, but that's in your what you would call your deep descendant tree. You're an ancestor. And then they're not born 99.999999% of your deep descendants are not born on earth and not born even in this solar system. So you've got beings in your descendant tree that you're an ancient father of in deep time that are one, not human by genetic definitions, and two, not born on terra firma, on earth. So they are alien to earth and they are alien to you genetically. And yet there's a deep evolutionary connectivity. So let's pretend you and I are a couple of those dudes, but we're not human and we're just in our deep, like it's our, it's two of our deep time descendants and they're hanging around and they're saying, hey, uh, my friend Jack just figured out how to make a time machine using some, you know, quantum technology that was developed, you know, at, uh, in, in 2022 on Earth. And then we yeah. figured out how to use that, right? You want to you wanna go for a ride back to Earth circa 2019. And I would be, and my descendant might be like, oh, yeah, but is it safe? And then the other guy might say, yeah, it's actually safe, but we can't mess around with the timelines too much. If we interact, we must be subtle. We must allow the flow to evolve right. because otherwise it'll be like we're forcing our will on them by with our learning. Like It's almost like we're stealing their opportunity to learn and expand, but we can communicate especially if they reach out and they're interested and we can also observe because it's interesting and so then they visit this planet but it wouldn't just be one it wouldn't just be yours and my descendants there would be visitations from countless entities forward in time back to this important historical sort of supernova event that is the place after the big bang in the young universe where the genie first got out of the bottle, where high consciousness first escaped the planet to speciate outwards in a, in a runaway doubling algorithm where all mass energy in the universe becomes conscious and part of a conscious neural net. So anyway, so yes, I suspect that many of these reportings of UFOs, um, I, don't, I more than suspect in the last couple years it's been... Uh, you know, acknowledged by various military organizations. You know, the CIA acknowledged on Nightline with Ted Koppel that remote viewing is real and they were using it. Uh, they've, mm-hmm. you know, they've acknowledged in the New York Times that that uh, they've been recovering, you know, uh, technology and, and, and spacecraft of, you know, these unidentified flying objects. So the point is, is yeah, I, I, I think that they are real, uh, you know, some of them, most of them, perhaps, but I don't think, my, my, as a as a logical guy, my first step is not to just jump to the conclusion that it's some animal on a different planet that it right. happened to have done the catch me if you can and evolved high tech and then cruised over here in a spaceship. It's much, much, much more plausible that it's our deep time descendants who are who are visiting us, and they are not the same ones. They're just all they come from different coordinates in time. In other words, you've got some deep time descendants from a million years. You got some from a hundred thousand years. You got some that went this way, went that way, evolved this way, that way. You got some that might be, you know, assholes. You got some that are, that could be kind. Like they don't have to be any particular one way. And and so we see this with a lot of these 
these reports of these UFO sightings, they're all different kinds of things. Some of them sound like this New Age stuff where they're talking this New Age stuff about how you guys got to cooperate and it's all about love. And then other ones are just, you know, more technological observers. So, yeah, it's a, it's a wild idea, but I think it's, it's one that should be talked about in competition with the other idea, which is that they're, they're not so related to us. Yeah. That was absolutely amazing and a lot of new information for me. That was awesome. Well, you're a quantum gravity researcher. We got to talk about that. That would be insane if we don't. I have very funny views of gravity. Mm -hmm. I particularly, well, well, before I say it, so tell us what quantum gravity is. Oh, um, so it's just a fancy word for for the biggest problem in physics, the outstanding holy grail of physics is, right, because all science, whether it's genetics or anything else, is like an upside-down pyramid where at the foundation of it all are these two theories, which is the theory of space and time in which everything plays out, which is Einstein's general relativity, Mm -hmm. and then the theory of everything else fundamental, which is quantum mechanics. Like, you don't need to, you don't need you don't need you don't start with electromagnetism or any or higher level theories you start with with the the, the quantum mechanics playing out in space time there's only one problem and both theories are at least partially correct because they make mm-hmm. predictions for experiments so here's the problem quantum mechanics says in no uncertain terms that general relativity is deeply wrong and flawed and has false assumptions. And general relativity says, no, quantum mechanics is deeply flawed and wrong in large part. So that's the conundrum. The two theories imply one another are false, and yet we've got evidence through experiments leading to technologies that at least some of the parts of each theory are correct. So the holy grail of physicists is to discover how it is that both of these are only partially correct and temporary placeholders waiting for the one unification theory that unifies them both and that would presumably give us some some deep, deep new physics that would perhaps lead, if discovered, to Star Trek-level technology 200 years early, right? So that's the holy grail. And so you can ask, well, how important is it to the world? Well, you can say, hey, What's the most expensive and the largest and the most sophisticated thing that humanity has ever constructed? It's the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland. So expensive that no one country could afford it. And it had to have been people putting money in a hat from Germany, United States, and Japan, and, and England. Everybody put money in the hat. And then, and then it, how big is it? Oh, my God, it's bigger than the pyramids. It's bigger than anything we've ever built. It's like 27 kilometers in, in circumference. It, it borders more than one country. And so what it is, is a giant microscope. Why? Why would the world spend that much money on a giant microscope? What could possibly be that important to just look at the small scale of things? Well, it's at the smallest scale of things where quantum mechanics says there's a cutoff. So you can't keep dividing Mm. something into smaller and smaller parts. You get down to this length called the Planck length, and at that length, that's it. It's, as though, it's this bizarre idea that reality is pixelated, 
that units of space and time are more like a mosaic or a 35 millimeter film than this idea of a smooth, continuous idea where things can be you know, thought of as infant, infinitesimally small units of time or space. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what, our, what, what our group is doing is we start by pixelating space-time and understanding the mathematics of that so that you can think of it like a language. Languages don't have to be made of abstract symbols like numbers or, or letters. Languages can be made of objects such as shapes. So think about a tiling, like a mosaic, but a mosaic where you only have a couple tile sizes and shapes, and then you have rules on how they can be arranged. So they can be three-dimensional tiles, like a cube or a tetrahedron. And then how those tiles arrange relative to the others in patterns, you can arrange a pattern by following the rules and and the freedom within the rules that gives you kind of what you call syntax freedom in a language to express the various patterns with the code, the geometric code. And then then you register that one, and then you do another legal pattern according to the language, and then you relate them one to another, like in an ordered set, like in a 35-millimeter film. And then that then has patterns that one can recognize in these in these pixels or tiles of ultra small space time that that are particles such as photons and electrons and then how they would interact according to the same rules and code would animate and create the world around us so this one of my my papers is called the code theoretic axiom uh, which just means it's an axiom is something that you suppose to be true and um, code theory just means language theory. So it's to say that reality at its core is, is a language expressing itself. Wow. So, yeah, so that's what quantum gravity is. It's whether you take our approach or a different approach such as string theory and you try to find out what the heck is going on with quantum mechanics and general relativity saying that one another, you know, that the two approaches are incorrect. They just make violently different assumptions so every model, every theory has an assumption built into it, which itself can't be proven within the theory. You have to just take a leap of faith on an assumption, then you build up from there. So there's something about the, the assumptions of quantum mechanics and, and general relativity that are implying one another are incorrect. So it's possible they could both be incorrect in, in certain assumptions and that there's some deeper new theory uh, waiting to replace them both. And we at, at our institute... Uh, think that the code theoretic axiom, where we use a language um, called quasi-crystal uh, math, if you will, but to think about it more like that mosaic tiling in three dimensions that keeps changing. And anyway, that that comes by taking higher dimensional crystals, you know, like a nine-dimensional crystal, and you can project mm-hmm. that down to a lower dimensional space and instead of getting a crystal when you project it, you get something called a quasi-crystal, which in the fastest way to say what it is, is it's a language made of geometric letters. And how they relate together is according to strict rules, but also syntactical degrees of freedom, so such that you're not forced how. Like if I say, Antonio, the dog ran blank, it's against the law for me to say cat. I cannot break the rules, but it's, but I am not required like a deterministic algorithm to say the dog ran fast. I can say the dog ran quickly, 
right? Mm-hmm. And Antonio will never know what I'm going to choose. He only knows I'll follow the rules most of the time, right? Wow. So. That was profound. Yeah, it was profound. Okay, well, I'm just ask a few more things. I won't hold you long. This has been the most amazing podcast I've ever done. Back on gravity, because this is this is your thing. Back on gravity. Is gravity real? Gravity is not what um, people think it is. So, quantum mechanics doesn't explain gravity. It explains electromagnetism. And then there's this thing called the standard model, which which uses quantum mechanics to unify these other three forces besides gravity, which are called the strong force, the weak force, and electromagnetism. So this this standard model theory is is the most powerful and predictive theory of physics that mankind has. It just doesn't know what the hell to do with gravity. It hasn't figured yeah. out how to pull gravity into the mix. So people presume that gravity is some deeply different uh, thing. So we, we presume in our model that the four forces are fundamentally made of exactly the same thing, which is, hmm, I have to decide how, how complicated to make this sound. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's this idea of computational least action. So just like think if you've got $10 and you know, you're trying to buy some snacks you know, for you and, and one of your kids. And so you've got you to gotta be careful, right? Because you've got to think, all right, I've got to make sure I get us each something to drink and each little snack. And so you've you got to conserve your money and be careful with it. So in a universe that's based on this idea of code theory, what it's doing is each time it selects a legal uh, you know, a, a legal according to the language of the code, right? So every time mm-hmm. it, it, it selects a legal configuration of this pixelated quasi-crystal states, um, it, it, it costs something. It costs consciousness. So, the, so you can compute, right? One plus one mm-hmm. is two. So you are, you're able to compute, but for you to compute, you have to use some of your finite consciousness, you don't have an infinite amount of consciousness, so you have to be careful with it, be mindful, conserve it, learn how to, you know, learn how to be a kung fu master and kind of, you know, bring your consciousness into a laser focus at sometimes, and then other times into a diffuse, spread out, you know, kind of way at other times. But you need to be an airbender with your limited amount of consciousness, and then you can learn to expand it. But you, even if you expand it, it's still finite. So you want to conserve it. You want to be smart. So a universe yeah. would be smart, and this, is this, this replaces an energetic principle. This becomes, in our physics, equal to the, ener- the energy principle. So the universe seeks to um, use its language economically to express its meaning, and a lot of its meaning is physical, the meaning of, of the structure of, 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 uh, of an electron or, or a hydrogen atom. And, um, and so all of it is abstract, Right? If I tell you to think of a, of a cube, well, you've just thought of a mathematical object. You may even be able to see it, but hmm. you, you still don't have to admit that it's anything other than information, thought. Right. So in this mind of this collective emergent consciousness of the universe, there are these mathematical thoughts in the form of this geometry, which encodes sophisticated algebra. And, and so um, 
And so I think that what the universe does is it tries to do that economically. And so there's this idea called negotiating the flow. So when two electrons with their wave functions around them, their electromagnetic spectrums around them, when they encounter one another, they, they each have a flow and they're trying to negotiate their mutual flows with one another so that they can evolve in a way that conserves energy and in our view conserves um, steps or, or computational yeah. steps. And if you meet another person with a seemingly diametrically opposed idea, now you're about to have a potential negotiation of flow. And there are two ways that you can negotiate the flow. Violently, head-on, and I don't mean physical violence, but I'm saying a sort of combative way, or you can, or you can realize that there are a virtual infinity of ways you can synthesize your two flows and have a win-win and just sort of not go in with so much bravado and just sort of flow and explore. And, you know, relationship with your kids, your wife, your coworkers, you know, a poli another politician. And I think that this principle of negotiating the flow, right, we see this in nature. If you see some lions and you just observe them, they kind of, they're always just negotiating the flow with one another. And humans get so mental because of our ability of abstract thought that a lot of times we're really rigid and we don't tap into the flow of the other person and negotiate the flow. So we're in some sense going against a deep principle of physics, which is energy conservation to negotiate mm. the flow. Wow. This has been the most amazing podcast ever on planet Earth. <laughs> it really has. Really? I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm serious, man. You should seriously we we should seriously do what we can to get you on the Joe Rogan podcast because you yeah. would fit with him so well. You really would. And he's in really and he's in LA. I'm here in LA too. I could go into his studio. You know Joe? No, I sure I don't know him. I don't know him, but everybody since my podcast is always top ranked. People telling me I should really reach out to him because he's mm -hmm. and they tell me he's a great guy. I don't know yeah. him, but yeah. but he's it's worse than an email. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely, I would definitely do that. But this has been the most amazing thing, man. I'm I'm have all the information in the show notes how how to contact you, and then of course you know all the true stuff that your team sent over as well. This has been. I'm just from one again, and let me just explain to the audience why I'm so excited about this because I love um quantum physics, and I can't just to give you an idea, I've been consuming um Vedic math mm -hmm. I'm for i don't even want to say for fun because none of this is it's fun, but it's almost an addiction. I can't help it, I can't mm -hmm. stop doing it. <laughs> you're addicted yeah. to learning, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going through all three of Richard Feynman's lectures, the, you know, how long that is, the the part one and part two and part three, the uh, shucks. It's just way too long. I'm nowhere near finished at all. Nowhere near finished. It's, I think all three of the PDFs together that I have are 3,000 pages, and that's in PDFs. That's not even, you know, I imagine what it would have been. But this has been awesome, man. I, I have, um, I would love, can, in fact, can you do this for us? Can you tell us where to read your papers? And if you yeah. if you send it over, because I, I did get your email, 
So if you oh, send yeah. it over, I'll put it in the show notes because I certainly want to consume everything that you've written, but I would love to direct the other half yeah. of our nerd audience over there. Tell us how to get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sweet. I'll send that to you right after I get off the phone. Sweet. I sure appreciate it. So, ladies and gentlemen, that would be in the show notes, and it's going to be to the top two. You're going to see everything that I, I want you all. Matter of fact, let me charge all of you. Your Thank you for listening the way you do. And just I want you to take your love for me and then throw it here to Clee. Please do that. This guy is fantastic. Follow him. Get his books. Get his book. But then go ahead and order you some 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 CBD oil. Clee, I ordered. I used a different email instead of the Antonio at. I used ATS at. So when you see that, in your back yeah. offices that will always yeah. be me ordering time to time. It's just ATS <laughs> at BATSDR.com. That, that's me there, and I definitely ordered it, It's and I, I can't wait. And I'm going to ask, as a matter of fact, let me jump out of my studio real quick. I'll do this on air right now. So I'm opening up the studio door, and my office is right next to it. And I have my... Publicist team, one of y'all closing sales for me or something? No, that's good. That's good. No, no, I'm on the well, not the I'm on the podcast with Dr. Clee Earl, and you two are getting ready. Go, go, type on your computer right now. Erwin Natural is it natural, singular, or plural? I can't remember anymore. Plural and Erwin with plural. an I. Erwin with an I. Natural plural. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. And both of y'all are to order CBD oil. And when you listen to this, well, not oil, I'm sorry, CBD. And when you listen to, so no, get, look, go right here to this top, top right, so that it's blue. I said green earlier. It's blue to me. I don't I know my basic colors. What's blue? Go to CBD. Go to the, there you go. No, you know, no, no, right here. That, that's the website right there. There you go. Top right, you see blue. He's giving it away. Just go ahead and order it right now. So you got two more coming right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, help her out over there. Okay, she's got it. No, top, top, top right. There you go. Digital air. All right, so we're all getting it in the office. There's three of us left. Three of us workaholics left. So I just ordered it, mm-hmm. and I made my day. I have, I have two publicists and my in-house publicist team. They're ordering it right now, man. Anything you Wonderful. ever need, if you ever, you. you know, sell anything else, please let me know. And – you are one of the people that have an open invitation to come back to this podcast whenever you want, man. I appreciate uh, I you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Last words on you, whatever you want to tell our audience, whether it be motivational, educational, transformational, you got the last words. Well, I would just say uh, we don't know each other very well, but just vibing with you here for like just this hour plus I I really think a person like you who has a big heart and common sense and is a lifelong learner and has had the experiences you had, you 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 need to be in in government because we got too many selfish interests going on in government. Um, yeah. And the president, like seriously, I would vote for you 
if you were running for president just because <laughs> just knowing you for a second you're 10 times better than the candidates that I'm looking at you know so um yeah, yeah no I just I I, I I I love your audience if they like the types of things that you like then I have a lot of love that goes out to them I appreciate anyone who's listened to this whole podcast up until this point and I've had a lot of fun and a lot of mental stimulation learning from you here today Antonio appreciate you I mean I, likewise the same I'm a talk to you as soon as I stop the recording. The cool thing about this podcast, according to my statistics, these crazy people listen for an average of two hours before they stop. They're crazy. Mm. They're absolutely, yeah, it's crazy. I have no idea how I did it, but, you know, having great people like you and talking about weird things and just, you yeah. know, flat out, I vibrate at their frequency and they stay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Beautiful. I introduce to you Dr. Clee Erin, quantum physicist. Go to his website, Quantum Gravity Research, and that's all in the show notes. Uh, we do appreciate you. You can plan better. You can dominate. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions. $22 an hour. Paid training. And I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there and that's why you need zip recruiter you need it so you can find the right candidates now it's not that zip recruiter helps you find jobs it's more accurately that zip recruiter takes your culture takes your job takes what you're looking for and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate and if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have 
been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.